0: As they're making their way to their classes, you can be turning with me in your Bibles to the Book of Luke, Book of Luke, Luke. Uh, we're going to be in Chapter Two, verses 39, 22. Boy, I'm struggling already this morning. Luke, twenty-two verses thirty-nine to sixty-two. I'm going to preach like this all morning. Uh, really appreciative of the. Worship team this morning and singing that last song. And uh, I've just been kind of struck uh, this morning to talk to uh, several of you. And just as I look around, um, there are many of us who are uh, walking through a time, even right now, uh, where we are calling to, out to the Lord from deep sorrow. And um, I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, um, I think you ask, if you ever ask anyone who's a part of our church, you know, what's the secret sauce of Rock Prairie? I think it's uh, the way that we uh, love and encourage one another, uh, especially as uh, when you're walking through uh, trials and difficult times. I've experienced that personally myself, and I know countless testimonies of others in our church who have experienced that. Um, and so uh, that that uh, really happens primarily uh, through our life groups. It's it's not a guaranteed thing that it solves your problems. Join a life group. Sometimes I heal, feel like a used car salesman trying to get people to join life groups. But really, I mean, this is like this is this is where it happens. There's so much that the church is called to do, uh, as we uh, uh, you as a part of a church are called to love one another and encourage one another and keep each other accountable and bear one another's burdens and. Uh, uh, as I look at our church, I see a, a, um, a lot of people who are walking through a lot of burdens. And I know us as pastors cannot be the only ones to, to do that. And it's not healthy if it's only the pastors who are doing that. That's not how God set it up. Uh, and so the way that that happens really primarily at our church is through life groups. And so I just want to uh, encourage you, uh, if you haven't joined a life group, uh, you got to do it. Uh, because really, that is, it's, uh, that's, uh, that's how it happens here uh, at Rock Prairie. And so join a life group, number one. Number two uh, is I'm going to actually uh, have a, ask us right now to do something a little very different than we've done before and a little bit vulnerable. Uh, and The Lord's maybe placing it on my heart or maybe I uh, uh, had a weird banana for breakfast this morning. I don't know. But uh, again, in, in singing that last, last song and thinking about uh, the, the many burdens that we bear as a church, I'm going I'm to have us pray before I preach here. But what I want, and again, this is vulnerable and um, different, but if you feel like you're at a point right now where you're just walking through a difficult trial, uh, you don't have to be saying, "I'm gonna." Uh, my whole life is falling apart. You don't have to. But if you're if you're just walking through a difficult trial, what I want you to actually do before I pray is, is if you would just stand, and I'm gonna ask the people around you to just lay hands. And we're not, You don't have to say what the trial is. You don't have to say what you're going through. Uh, but I'm just gonna pray over all of us as a church. But if I think if you would stand as you're walking through a difficult trial right now, and if we can just kind of have that act of laying hands on one another, I think that can be a really powerful thing, and it's what the Lord calls us to do. Um, so again, it's I know it's a little strange. We never do this. So if you're new with us this morning, this is the first time we've done something like this. But uh, man, if you would just just kind of stand if you feel like, again, man, we're just walking through something. And uh, I would love for, I'm mean, getting teared up, um, but yeah, I would love for those around you, as you're, those who are standing, if you just surround them and just lay hands, and uh, I'm going to pray a prayer. So look around and see those who are standing, and and um, if you just want to raise your hand, if you're one of those who wants people to lay hands, um, we're going to go before the Lord together. I'll give you just a few more seconds. All right, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Oh, gracious, kind, heavenly Father, we thank you this morning um, that you are the God who is the infinite, almighty, all-powerful God. You hold the universe in your hands. And Lord, as we kind of zoom back, from your great, awesome, powerful might. Um, And we think about where we are right now in this planet, in this place, in this time. Um, Lord, we know that uh, in light of who you are, um, the things that uh, we carry are small, and yet they're big. You created us in your image to rule and reign on this earth with you. Now that Jesus has come to bring about the new creation, the new kingdom. And we long for that day, God. And Jesus taught us to pray, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. And so we just acknowledge before you this morning, there are many things on this earth that are not... uh, how they will be in your kingdom. Lord, specifically, I just want to pray and lift up those who are carrying heavy burdens this morning. We thank you for this church. Thank you for the way that we can literally at this moment surround one another and lay hands on one another. Lord, I just know we have an enemy that prowls and lurks. And the first thing he wants to tell those of us who are just walking through trial right now is that you are all alone in this. There's no one who understands. There's no one who really cares. And God, that is a lie. Because first of all, we have uh, our great high priest, Jesus, who walked the earth. And uh, he's not a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he can sympathize in every way. And yet he was without sin. And so Lord, I just pray uh, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, Lord, I just pray a blessing of rest on those who are weary. I pray the peace of God that passes all understanding would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, Lord, I pray uh, for the armor of God. God, I pray that we would be still enough to hear you speak, to hear your voice. You are good. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) <laughs> well okay sometimes uh, God wants to do something different than uh, than you plan and uh, you should always let him well, thank you Lord for that it's a very special moment it's really cool um, okay well let me pray one more time and kind of gather my thoughts and and we'll dive into God's word and see what he wants to do here this morning let's pray again Heavenly Father God you're good We just praise you we thank you for your goodness Lord as we turn to your word we're going to see uh, disciples who are betraying uh, Jesus and walking away and Peter denying Jesus and Lord, I just pray that uh, even in the hard passages, you would just encourage us for the truth of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I think there are uh, two lies that the enemy loves to tell people who uh, have been saved and uh, kind of are opposite, and they also kind of go hand in hand. And the first uh, lie that I think uh, the enemy likes to tell us is a kind of a downplaying of our sin. Uh, that your sin isn't that bad. Uh, you are especially compared to other people. You're pretty good. Uh, Jesus saved you because, uh, man, he just, he knew how good you were already. You just needed that little salvation boost and you're, you're good to go. That's the first lie uh, that the enemy uh, likes to tell us. Uh, everyone say, that's a lie. It's a not true. Thank you. There's another lie on the flip side of that, that the enemy loves to tell people uh, which is that Jesus actually really regrets saving you. Uh, there are all these other people that were saved, that, and they really did deserve it, but your, uh, your sin is actually pretty bad uh, compared to them, and you kind of snuck in, and if it weren't for the doctrine of eternal security, then uh, Jesus might have dumped you a long time ago, and that is a lie, too. Everyone say, that's a lie, and uh, the thing is, I think we, we know that in our head, uh, right? Hopefully no one actually thinks, man, Jesus was totally right to save me uh, because I'm so awesome compared to everyone else. And uh, hopefully no one thinks, really, uh, man, Jesus really wishes that he could get rid of me. Uh, but just because we know that in our head doesn't mean that we don't start to believe those lies in our hearts. So I don't know about you, sometimes I literally find myself thinking these, believing these, both of these lies, like in the same five seconds, right? Like I start to think that I'm pretty good, and then I immediately start to think I'm, feel bad about it, and think, oh man, I'm terrible, and you're just like, boom, back and forth. Can anyone else relate to that? Is it just I me? Mean, yeah. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at three stories that show Jesus really being let down by his disciples. And so as we kind of look at these things, specifically in mind thinking about Peter's denial of Jesus, as we study these passages, uh, your response. this shouldn't be your response. Oh man, those disciples are terrible. Uh, if only Jesus had me with him back then, I would have stuck by him. I wouldn't have done any of that stuff. That should not be your response response. The point is, as we look at these uh, passages that show us the disciples' failures, the point is you would do that. That's why we have these stories, to see our own failures of our hearts mirrored in theirs. But you also can't stop at uh, that second lie of, oh man, my heart really is sinful and uh, Jesus could never forgive me for what I've done. Uh, there's this whole cycle that we're going to see this morning of recognizing my heart is way more sinful than I ever could have realized, but Jesus' grace is so far greater than I could have imagined. So we can't get stuck. You don't want to get hung up. You don't want to get hung up on that first lie of, yep, yeah, my, my sin's not that bad. But then when we realize our sin, we don't want to get hung up on the second lie of, and now I'm separated from Jesus and his grace isn't enough. For me, We go through that full cycle of recognizing our sin, and that drives us to love our Savior more because we realize the depth of his grace for us. And this is good news, amen? This is the gospel. And uh, so look with me, starting in verse 39, and we're going to see what's going on here with Jesus and the disciples. It says this, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, Olives. and the disciples followed him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. All right, so after the Passover meal, which we talked about last week, Jesus goes to his usual spot to pray and the disciples, minus Jesus, who we know, or minus Judas, excuse me, who we know is off doing something else. The disciples are following him and they uh, and tells him to go pray and then he kind of goes off a little ways and he prays by himself. And we really see something astonishing in this passage, which is that Jesus is in total like fear and, and agony over what is to come. He literally begins sweating blood, which is like a medical condition that can happen if you're under absolute extreme stress. And an angel has to come and minister to him and comfort him. And isn't this fascinating? Can you think of another time, we've been studying the gospels now since January, can you think of another time when Jesus was afraid of anything? No, I I can't think of one. Uh, all through the Gospels, we've had this picture of Jesus who's not afraid of anything or anyone. Even in the next chapter, even in the following uh, verses, when he gets brought before Herod and Pilate, he, he has this calm confidence in who he is and what he has to do. He's not afraid like he is here. Yet here in the garden, on the mountain, in his private prayer spot, We see the heart of Jesus almost having like a panic attack about what's happening to him. Why do you think that is? Why do you think he's having this reaction? Was Jesus afraid of death, do you think? Do you think he just didn't want to be in pain? Like Jesus was pretty tough. He went 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness without food, right? Or was he afraid of what these men were about to do to him? You think he forgot that he was going to raise again three days later after he died? No, I don't think so. I think there's one reason that Jesus was in anguish here. And it was that the wrath of God for all of sin was about to be poured out on him. And when we, we sing this, when we sing in Christ alone, on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God satisfied for every sin on him was laid. And this is what Jesus was about to experience. Jesus was the sinless one who was about to feel the full wrath of God poured out on him enough to satisfy the penalty for every sin ever committed. And the very thought of that almost killed Jesus, just thinking about what was to come. Mark's account of this tells us that Jesus told the disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. We can't even, we cannot fathom it, right? We know we, we have the physical description of Jesus's pain that kind of helps us get there, but it's not even close to what Jesus was going to experience as the full wrath of God to satisfy every sin was about to be poured out on Jesus on the cross. can't imagine what Jesus is going through in these moments. And he would warned his disciples what was to come. He told them over and over again. I'm about to suffer. He started out vague and then he got real specific toward the end. And then he just told him, My body's about to be broken. My blood is about to be poured out. This is not a metaphor. <laughs> and where are the disciples at this moment? Are they like uh, laying hands on Jesus like we just did for one another, praying for him? No, they're asleep. They're asleep. It's a stunning desertion. And yet, Jesus' prayer here is just so stinking beautiful. I love it. It's such a powerful example to us, for those of us who are walking through trial, even now. He says, Father, listen to it. If you are willing, remove this cup, meaning the cup of your wrath that's about to be poured out. Remove this cup from me, if you're willing, God. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. This week I got to spend some time down in Florida at a conference uh, for a missions agency uh, called Global Serve International, where Lord willing, uh, Rhema is going to be uh, sent out with them. And uh, I got to spend some time down there and it was an incredible week. And uh, we got to hear from some missionaries who had already been in the field for a couple years and then uh, had to had to come back uh, for just a brief time. And because they were back, they were able to share a little bit about what their experiences were like at the start of their time overseas. And uh, one by one, I mean, it was just uncanny. They explained just the challenges and the hardships and the sicknesses that they had been through. One was back because his father had just passed away unexpectedly. Another said that each of their young children had gone through multiple stints in the hospital. A third one said, so get this, I think I have these diseases, right? He had dengue fever, tuberculosis, I think, and like hepatitis A or so, I don't know. Was that right? Something like that. All at the same time, <laughs> the doctors said he was the, whatever the opposite of a medical miracle is, that's what he was. And, uh, and as they're sharing these things, I got to be honest, in my heart, uh, I was um, a little bit upset at God, like... Father, these people are giving up so much to be obedient to you, to go to the hardest places in the world to share the gospel, which you've called them to do, and they've prepared to go. They've spent years preparing. They've sold almost all of their possessions. They've made it. They're working hard. And you're putting all these obstacles in their way, God. Like, what gives? Why are you letting them go through this? You didn't have that. You could have stopped this from happening, and uh, that is the wrong attitude to have. And that wasn't their heart or their attitude. I was amazed. One of the uh, the girls shared that as she was sitting with one of her, I think her one year old in the hospital, she was convicted about her prayers, that she was only praying that God would change her circumstances and not that God would change her heart through her circumstances. Isn't that convicting? That just pierced me right through the chest. How often when I walk through a trial is my prayer this, essentially? God, just make it go away Make it easier, make it better, make it so I don't have to walk through anything difficult. God, just take this hardship away so that I can have an easier life. And that's not the right way to pray. And that's not how Jesus prays. Should pray something more like, God, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to walk through this trial. It's hard. It's really hard. And God, you can make it go away. I trust in your power and your sovereignty that if it's your will, you can make it go away. And yet, God, I also at the same time will pray recognizing that your will might be different than mine. You might have a different perspective than I do. Your thoughts might be higher than my thoughts. Your ways might be higher than my ways. And so God, if your will is for me to be sanctified, to make made more holy, made more like Jesus in this trial, if it's your will for me to cling closer to Jesus because of this trial, for me to recognize my need for Jesus more and more, God, your will be done. And that's a scary thing to pray, isn't it? Um, I didn't want to preach that this morning. (laughs) It's a scary thing to pray because uh, God might make you prove it, right? But let me ask you, church, is there a better place to be than in the will of God? No. Is it better to walk through a lifetime of trial and difficulty clinging to Jesus, or to walk through no trial in your life at all and uh, be far from the Lord. It's better to be near to Jesus. Jesus prayed, Father, if it's your will, make this cup pass. Not my will, but yours. And if Jesus can pray that, uh, we, we can too so Jesus prays, and he finds his disciples asleep. And he prays this beautiful prayer, acknowledging God's will. And that leads us to our next scene. Look at verse 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. Oh man, this is uh, not a lot of feel-good passages this morning as we're leading up to the cross. I mean, this is one of the most heinous acts of betrayal in human history. Judas betrays Jesus with, of all things, a kiss. That's the reason that image just sticks in your mind nauseating to think about something that's supposed to demonstrate love and you can just see the look of the insincere smile on his lips and just the evil in his eyes can't you You can just picture it as he walks up to Jesus what he's about to do and betrays him with a kiss and then the other disciples see what's about to go down and ask Jesus hey all right you were talking about swords a little bit ago. I don't, we didn't really understand it, but are you ready for us to throw down? you want us to go? And, and uh, one of the disciples uh, takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And it, uh, Luke uh, spares him, but we know from uh, John's account that it's Peter. And that shouldn't surprise us. It's always Peter, isn't it? And uh, so Peter cuts off the guy's uh, ear. And, uh, and then what does Jesus do? He reaches out and heals him. He touches his ear and heals it. Can you imagine that? I love this. Imagine what's going through that guy's mind. His boss, the high priest, been trying to take this rogue rabbi down for a while. I'm sure he's been in all sorts of conversations about how they're going to do it. And it's finally going down. And in the process, he gets his ear cut off. And uh, that would hurt Harold Toll almost lost his ear a little bit ago, and so if you're curious about it, he can tell you uh, it doesn't feel good. I'm not making that up. That uh, really happened. And, uh, and uh, this guy's in pain, and I'm sure as soon as it's like, it's, it's dark, and there's, it's chaotic, and he like, I'm sure he reaches up and re- realizes he doesn't have an ear anymore, and Jesus reaches out and touches him and heals him, and you think that stuck with him? <laughs> I think he's thinking about it in the hours to come as he sees Jesus prosecuted and found guilty as an innocent man, exchanged for Barabbas, sentenced to death and hanging on the cross. John tells us this guy's name was Malchus, and if I'm saying that right, and one commentator I read said that some people believe that John gave that detail because he's a follower of Jesus now, and that would be, we don't know for sure, uh, but what we do know is that even in this moment, when Jesus is being betrayed by his disciples and getting arrested, he's also practicing what he preached. He's loving his enemy. And uh, this is amazing to see. Last Sunday, uh, after church, like I said, I went down to This conference in Florida. I was on my way to the airport, and uh, I was this. There was this truck in front of me, and it it was modified truck, and it had the biggest exhaust system I've ever seen on a vehicle. And as soon as this guy, I was at a stop sign behind him, and as soon as this guy stepped on the gas, it was just whoof like this, just cloud of black smoke. Like I, I didn't know that a vehicle could could do this. I couldn't see anything, and my air conditioner is broken in my car, so I had the windows down, and so my whole vehicle just fills with this black smoke, and I'm coughing, and, and uh, I can't see anything, and then he drives away, and then we're going, and then he kind of slows down, and then whenever he would gun it, uh, I'm sure some of you guys know the mechanics of this, and whenever he would gun it, vroom, it would, it would uh, fill the air, and I couldn't see, and so after the air cleared, I just zipped around him, and I was going and uh, I was taking uh, the back way to 31 and turned down Country Road. And I'm about a mile down the Country Road, and this guy, I look in my rear view mirror and he's behind me and he comes flying around me at probably 100 miles an hour. And I guess when I zipp- I guess it made him mad, I don't know. He didn't have. I can tell you he didn't have anything going on. That He had nothing better to do uh, than pick on me because he went around me and then he kind of, then as he went around me, he, vroom, right? The same thing and and the smoke, and I couldn't see again. It gets worse, and so then he's way out in front of me because he's going 100 miles an hour, and then he slows way down as I'm pulling up, and I'm like, he's, like, he's bullying me. Like... (laughs) I'm getting picked on here on the on the road, and thankfully he was past like a cross street as he was slowing down to very clearly do it again, and so I turned and then I kind of went, and then I just kind of take a deep breath, right, and uh, um, I had an enemy on the road, I guess, but uh, i 'll tell you what um, like i'm just like if that guy all of a sudden, if we get to 31 and I see him a couple miles down and uh, his car had broken down, you know what i 'm not doing. <laughs> Pulling over to see if he's okay. Hey man, you need a ride? You good? You need me to help you change your tire? Um, No. My heart in that moment was not filled with love for this guy. And he's just a random guy on the road, right? Um, It's very strange. I don't have a lot of enemies, so this was really a new thing for me. This was very strange. Um, He's not really my enemy. Um, but I probably hated him in my heart, right? Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Does that make sense? But that's not the gospel of the kingdom. This whole series uh, is called Jesus and the Kingdom of God. And we're learning about how does Jesus just flip on its head the values of our, of our world and the kingdoms of the world. And the kingdom of God is, upside, is the upside down kingdom, so Jesus says, you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Which makes sense because your enemy, it's, it's not just someone picking on you on the road. It's someone who wants to kill you. And uh, so it makes sense to, to hate them. That's, that's self-preservation is what that is. But Jesus, but I say to you, he goes on, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you can say, yeah, that sounds nice, Jesus. Um, But he backed it up. His disciples didn't, right? Peter was ready uh, to throw down with the sword. Um, And rather than thinking, I mean, um, I just know in my heart, if I'm getting, uh, you can't even put yourself in the shoes. It's like if I'm getting like arrested by this mob when I've done nothing wrong and they just want to kill me and one of my buddies like cuts off one of their ears, I'm like, yeah, this guy, at least he's feeling a little bit a pain for what he's about to put me through. And uh, Jesus doesn't even want him to be in pain in that moment. He reaches out and he touches his ear. He's loving his enemies and he's praying for those who persecute him. You remember what he prayed on the cross. Father, let them have what's coming to them. Let them feel, I'm having your wrath poured out on me. God, let them feel your wrath. They deserve it. They did. That's not what Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That is convicting, isn't it? My heart is petty and small. And that's with the Holy Spirit sanctifying me. But I know I have a long way to go. Jesus is just this unbelievable moment where we see not only what does Jesus teach us to do that, but He's living it out in the most extreme of circumstances. Love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you. So I don't know, maybe for those of you who, st- who stood up, I don't know what you're going through, but maybe it's a difficulty with, with a person. And, um, and so if that's you, I just want to encourage you, um, in the spirit, you can do what is impossible, which is love your enemy. And, and you can pray for those who persecute you, and you can pray for God to change your heart uh, and as we continue to try to live according to the values of this upside down kingdom. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. And then let's look at what happens next. They seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And then just like it's a movie, immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Oh, man. How many of you growing up ever heard those dreaded words from your mom or dad right? I'm not mad I'm just disappointed oh that's the worst thing you can hear right uh, this is like the ultimate example of that isn't it Jesus turns and looks at Peter he doesn't even have to say anything he doesn't have to be, hey remember when I said that you were going to deny me three times before the rooster cr-? no he doesn't have to say that he turns and looks at Peter and Peter just knows There's a lot that could be said here, but uh, we'll just have to limit it to this. Look look back in your Bibles, a few verses in this chapter, to verse 33. Verse 33, chapter 22. Jesus definitely, he called his shot here. He knew what Peter was going to do. He told Peter before the rooster crowed he would deny him three times. And then what does Peter say in response to that? Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Uh, Was he? (laughs) No. In other words, no way, Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. Maybe some of these other disciples, they're a little wishy-washy, but not me. I would never. My heart could never do that. I'm with you no matter what. And then, I mean, just right away at the first instance An opportunity that Peter has. He denies him three times. He's sitting at the fire. It's an important detail. And all these people start accusing him of being with Jesus. And each time he says no. But here's the key, church. I love this. Is that the end of Peter's story? Is that the last we hear about Peter in the Gospels? It's not. The end of John. This is really cool. They're sitting around a fire, the same exact word is used, uh, it's charcoal fire, and, uh, and they're cooking fish, and um, maybe Peter's thinking about the last time he was sitting around a fire, He's smelling the smoke, and Jesus asked Peter a question three times. Do you remember the question? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. There's a cycle here, church, that we hinted at at the beginning of this sermon that we need to see, and it happens every time we sin, and the first thing that happens in our heart is, I would never do that. Peter started by arrogantly downplaying his heart's ability to sin. Lord, I would never betray you, and we do that too, don't we? Like all the time in our hearts. We like to say, I would never do that. You see what somebody else, oh, I would never do that. And then, uh, okay, I kind of did it, but I didn't really do it. And besides, I didn't really mean it. And it wasn't really bad as, what, as bad as what that person did. And even if it was, who cares? Everyone does it, right? We downplay our heart's ability to sin. And Peter could have stayed there, couldn't he have? I mean, all the disciples were deserting Jesus. Peter singled him out, or Jesus singled him out, but Peter could have downplayed. He could have pretended that it didn't really happen, but he didn't. When Jesus looked at him, he knew it, didn't he, in his heart? And he wept bitterly. There needs to be sorrow over sin, true repentance first begins with sorrow over the realization of the sin in your heart. This is crucial. I wonder, have you ever wept over your sin? What was Isaiah's first response when he saw the Lord in the temple? Woe is me! Recognition of his sinfulness. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people Of unclean lips. When you encounter the holiness of God, is your response the same? It should be. We should have a sorrow over our sin, but we can't stay there either. Because Peter could have easily stayed at step two then of this cycle of repentance, right? Of recognizing the sin in his heart. But he could have then just stayed there. He could have avoided the risen Jesus, he could have been too ashamed to answer him. He could have stayed stuck there in his guilt, but he doesn't do that either. Because Jesus approaches him and asks him, Do you love me? And then after all that, he says it three times. And then after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Oh man, isn't that beautiful? Peter's been restored. He denies Jesus three times. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And then he says, follow me. And this is the pattern for us, church. We can't be so arrogant to say, I would never sin that way. And when I do, it's not as bad as what other people do. Or pretend it's not there. Or avoid it, right? We need to recognize a sin. But when, we, when, when you sin, you need to allow yourself to feel that sorrow over it and repentance. But we don't stay stuck in shame either. We remember the gospel. Amen? Remember that Jesus still loves you so much. And he calls you to follow him. And there's nothing more beautiful than this. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, you are clearly moving in this place. We thank you for your spirit, the incredible ability to minister to us as we minister to one another. We thank you, God. What an incredible gospel reality that our sin has been fully paid for. Lord, but to understand that, we need to recognize the sin in our hearts. We can't pretend it's not there or that it's no big deal. Lord, but when we recognize it, when we weep over it, Lord, you call us to remember the gospel, that our sin is nailed to the cross, not just part of it, not even just most of it, the whole thing, and we bear it no more. So, God, we sing praise to the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.